to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. On this week's episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast, I'm joined once again by my co-host, the CEO and co-founder of Bean Ninjas, Meryl Johnston. And this is probably one of our most important episodes, or at least I think it is. We've talked in previous episodes about Meryl's um, unique ability to create processes within her business that have allowed her to grow so quickly. You know, she was already working and growing and scaling the company into multiple countries in less than two years after her very first day in business with Bean Ninjas. And one of the key foundational components of that being possible for her is the processes that she built and continues to refine and review and teach to every member of her team. And on this episode, we go really deep into what those processes are, how she built them, how she finds out, investigates and reviews whether or not they're working, tweaks that she makes, and and how she's able to teach those processes quickly and smoothly to new team members who are several time zones away. And then those team members are also able to teach those processes to additional staff. So it's a really important episode. I think you're gonna wanna take notes. So definitely get your pens and pads and let's not waste any more time. Welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. Welcome back to another week of the Bean Ninjas podcast. I am here with my co-host, Meryl Johnston, CEO and co-founder of the Bean Ninjas. Hi, Meryl. Welcome. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty good. I've, I've still got a bit of that cold, but I'm almost better now. And I'm actually chatting with you this morning from an Airbnb in Brisbane. And I've just been at ZeroCon, which is the annual Zero Conference. So my nice. head is um, exploding with all the different information and changes, product updates and uh, yeah. industry add-ons that I've spoken to. So, Oh, that's awesome. It was a great event. Yeah. Well, thank you for making time for us in the middle of, you know, being out of town and attending an event. I'm always amazed at how you managed to squeeze us into your extremely busy schedule. You've been in different countries and we still talk. <laughs> You've been in different parts of Australia. It's like five o'clock in the morning. Um, so your commitment is amazing. And tell me, so the conference, how many days have you been there now at the conference? So the conference, the first event started on a Tuesday afternoon and it's Friday morning now. So it went nice. for two and a half days. Awesome. That's like a perfect, a perfect length because like you say, in about two and a half, three days, you've got so much information that you need to take back home and unpack and figure out how you're going to apply all of it. Uh, will you be heading home tonight or are you going to stay in Brisbane for the weekend? I'm heading back tonight and I'm actually part of a, a mastermind group for bookkeeping firm owners. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually heading to the Gold Coast for the weekend. So the conference is over, but now we're doing a debrief. And so we'll spend the weekend together on the Gold Coast discussing different topics and takeaways and then kind of coming up with our action plan of what we're going to implement. But I think it's really easy to go go to a conference, get all excited, and then get back into the day-to-day and emails straight away. Right. So this is something that we've done. I've been in part of this mastermind group for about two and a half years, and it's something that we try and do after conferences so that, to make sure that we, we make the most of them. 
Awesome. Well, listen, if you ever need me to debrief on the Gold Coast, just say the word. <laughs> I'll fly, you know, I'll make the sacrifice and fly over there. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to get into today's topic because it's something that we've touched on and you've given us a lot of great information in other episodes, but we haven't really done a deep dive. And I know there's a lot of information for us to cover today. So I'm going to kind of talk fast and throw lots of questions at you. But I think it's such an important topic and it is about processes and SOPs, something that you are really well known for. And I know you speak about um, quite frequently at different events is how you developed the processes that allowed you to grow Bean Ninjas into so many markets. I mean, literally all over the world in a very short period of time. You started out from the very first day of business with some processes and Early on, you recognized that having standardized operating procedures in place was important. And then you've learned, of course, as the company has grown and you've brought on new members in different locations and different time zones, you've had some tweaks and changes. But ultimately, the end result is you've built phenomenal processes that have had a huge part and been a big piece of the foundation for your growth at Bean Ninjas. So I want to make sure that we cover as much of it as we can. Um, let's start with kind of super basics. I mean, we know what SOPs are, but how are they different from process maps? And tell me a little bit about the difference in actually implementing SOPs versus process maps and why they serve different purposes. So I'll describe a process map as the flow of how a particular process happens. And so it wouldn't be a detailed explanation that someone else could follow of exactly how to do each step, but it would be more like a high-level map or summary. And so if you were looking at a sales process, a process might might have a box with the initial inquiry and then you've got a, a form that they fill out, then it, that might lead into a discovery call and it would kind of show a high-level view of step-by-step step what that process would look like, whereas the standard operating procedure would be the detail of how someone else would follow that process. So where would they go to find the the form that, that someone fills out? Who would reply to that? What's the temp, where is the email template that they would use? What is the, and then how do you run a discovery call? How long does it go for? What happens after you run it? And so that standard operating procedure would really provide all of the detail of exactly how you would do that so that someone who was new to that role could pick it up and, and execute. Makes perfect sense. So a process map kind of tells me how we get from A to B and SOPs kind of tells me exactly how to drive the car, how to hit the brake, how to hit the gas, everything I needed to know to actually get through that process that's mapped out in the process map, right? Exactly. So tell me a little bit, and, and we've talked before about you had some processes that you built early on, um, and, and if I'm jumping ahead, just let me know, because I know you have done a lot of talks about this, and, and you kind of have a, a flow of information and how you walk people through this. So if I'm jumping ahead, stop me. Um, but tell me a little bit about some of what you did initially at Bean Ninjas, what worked, what didn't work, what you ultimately changed. When we first started being injured already we were clear that we wanted to scale the business and so we knew that as soon as we brought team members into the business we needed to have processes for them to follow and so I think 
part of that beca- comes down to us already being aware of the benefits of SOPs. And so something that I like to talk about, bef- I think everyone needs to understand or, or think about their own why. And so if you're trying to scale a business and you want team members, then you want them to deliver a consistent experience to cust- if they're customer-facing to customers or even do things efficiently internally. And so I, I see that they're some of the major benefits of SOPs as well as one day if you're trying to exit the business, if the business is solely reliant on you as a founder, then there's not a lot of value maybe or potentially with that business, whereas if there's a lot of standard operating procedures and a team in place that can follow them, then when that that day to exit the business comes, I think that you'll find the business will have a high valuation most of the time depending on what, what industry you're in. So there's some of the benefits and Ben and I, when we first started, Ben and were aware of, of those benefits and the fact that we wanted to scale. And so in the beginning, even when we didn't have team members, we were still creating checklists in Trello. There was, and I guess both of us were working on some of the same tasks, which was one of the early mistakes that we made because we didn't divide our responsibilities. But because both of us were doing things like sales calls, we also needed to have, even with the two of us, we wanted a standard customer experience. And so we were following the same kind of processes there. And from that point of having checklists in Trello and then standard operating procedures in Google Drive, when we brought team members in, we had things in place already for them to follow and then to continue to refine. But we also made a lot of mistakes in um, the early days of, of really trying to document out and roll out those standard operating procedures. You made an interesting point. I'm going to go back just a little bit, but you made an interesting point about um, the value of a company and that it may actually be worth more or at least easier to sell if you're looking at, so if you're, you know, we have a lot of startup companies now and kind of their whole goal is to be acquired. Um, and so one of the points you made is that having really clear cut SOPs can make the company more valuable. And that's, I'm assuming that's for a number of reasons, but overall, because if I'm buying a company and it comes with these great SOPs that have already been proven to work, then whether I bring the current team with me and add more people or some of the current people decide they don't want to come on board when I acquire this company, there's going to be a lot less sort of flubbing and a lot, a lot less opportunity for people to drop the ball in the midst of a transition like that. Is that what they're, is that what SOPs are doing for companies in that situation? Yeah, spot on. So I think they make the, the transition process easier, but also just the reliance on a founder. So if there's not, if you don't have those SOPs and the founder is responsible for everything, there's a lot of risk tied up in that one person. And often when, but there's many reasons that a business would get acquired, but I, and I'm, probably talking more about service businesses here too, where a lot of that knowledge can be in the founder's head. That If something happens to the founder, then there's there's not um, a lot of value, there's not as much value in that acquisition if all of the knowledge is tied up in that one person. Whereas if that's in the standard operating procedures, the transition will be smoother, but also there's the ability for that business to continue to grow and scale with much less risk. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. And I imagine too that, you know, there are some founders that, you know, it's kind of the company is your baby, so to speak. And it's really hard for you to kind of turn that over and let people take, you know, take some of the tasks and responsibilities off your plate. Because as long as you're in control, you know, people aren't messing things up for too long before you see it. 
how are standard operating procedures helpful in, for that type of, of CEO or co-founder? I think it, they may help provide comfort in, in delegating some of those tasks because if, if, you're, if there's a clear SOP and then you're confident that you've trained someone well in that, then you might have more faith that they'll do a good job. And I think it's a good test for founders to see whether they can take holidays and and the business continues operating. And maybe some things will fall over, but that again, that's a learning opportunity. And as long as the it's not a major fail, um, I think it's actually a good thing to do. And it, while I say that, I am the founder that has only been able to take um, <laughs> the, the one week off. Um, but, but I think that's less about me being involved operationally and me re- being required to be there and me having projects that, I, that I'm trying to drive the business forward with. Yeah. So maybe I'm a bad example of, of maybe I'm not following, <laughs> following my, <laughs> my own recommendations you're, there. You're the plumber with the leaky pipe. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, so you mentioned before that you had some uh, SOPs in, that you've put in place initially and some of, there were some of them that didn't work. Can you give me a little more detail about what it was that about those initial SOPs that didn't work? Was it across the board? It was just all the way bad or were there just certain elements of it that you could tweak and make it better? Um, it was pretty bad. So <laughs> we, I think our issue was we created SOPs and then we didn't maintain them. So they were all dumped in a Google Drive folder. And as we grew, there was just more and more of them in there. And then no one knew which ones were up to date and which ones weren't or how to find them because if they were, if you went into the folder with all of the SOPs dumped in there, it was quite a long list. So you'd be scrolling for a while mm. to try and find that they weren't well labeled. And as I said, you didn't know what was up to date and what wasn't. And you don't really want to waste time looking at an SOP that is out of date because you're going to end up following the wrong steps and then not doing the right thing. So in the end, no one was looking at the SOPs. So we'd actually spent a lot of time in the beginning doing this documentation and then we'd done a terrible job of organising them in a way that they could be easily accessed and then a terrible job of keeping them up to date. And part part of the reason that we hadn't done a good job of keeping them up to date was we hadn't created ownership around who owned each SOP, who was responsible for keeping it up to date. And again, that probably came back to a bigger issue of not having a clear organizational chart mm. because in the beginning the roles were very loose and there was a lot of overlap and so it was hard to define who actually owned each process and so that was actually quite a big project to then really go back to go back to the strategy of being ninjas go back to or recreate that organizational chart go back to create job descriptions and and really be clear about what everyone's role was to help drive forward with the strategy and it was only once we'd done all of that that we were then really in a, in a better position to identify who was responsible for each SOP and then really go back and rework everything. And it makes sense too that a young company, you know, I mean, often even just hiring new people at young companies, everyone's sort of wearing multiple hats and that's just the nature of a young company that's bringing on people that can kind of do multiple things while you're growing you know, to the point where you have the revenue to get, you know, to assign one person, one job. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty normal for, you know, there to be not really clearly defined roles. So then it is difficult to sort of give ownership of each process or each SOP. 
What was the time frame between when you created your first set and then you realized it become this endless scrolling list and now we needed to go back and, and start doing some more uh, clarification and assignment? How much time passed between those two? It was probably 18 months. And I think the reason that it took like that long, so that was our first 18 months in business, we were, our focus was sales and growth during those 18 months. So we were, we were process oriented and we wanted SOPs, but our priority for the first 18 months of business was definitely on sales and growing. And so that was where most of our focus was. And then we got to a point where things were starting to fall over because we'd grown so quickly. And that was where we realized, okay, we need to come back and have a look at this. Our team has rapidly expanded and we need to make sure that we're delivering a, a consistent, great experience. And it's t- we, we really need to spend a lot of time on on reworking and just redoing our SOPs and, and the way that we manage them. Sure. And looking back now, do you think you could have gotten to that point any faster? Had you tried maybe at six or eight months to have clearer SOPs with defined ownership, would it have worked do you, or do you, would you have ended up at 18 months having to go through this again? I, th- I don't think it would have worked just because in the very early stages of the business, we were still figuring out so many things. So we were still figuring out who our target market was. We were figuring out how to structure our team. So I think it's pretty hard when you're still finding product market fit and you're really working out who you are as a business. Sure. I think that it helps to have some structure, but things you don't want to waste a whole, you know, hundreds of hours documenting everything for it all to change. So I think while it was important for us to do what we could, so we were documenting SOPs, but pretty briefly, we weren't put, putting huge amounts of time into it. And I think it was, even though we were in a bad state at the 18 month mark, I think our focus needed to be sales and needed to be figuring out who our customers were and doing a lot of testing and working out the organizational structure to really get the benefit of, of SOPs. Cause I think you can write them too early when you're still in the early stages of business. Okay. Good to know. And, you know, being ninjas is unique in that, you know, you as the CEO, you, you're kind of equal parts creative, but also, you know, the type of person that's organized enough to, to think, Hey, we need SOPs and to actually get them clearly defined and streamlined um, to the point where you're kind of the go-to person now to talk to about um, SOPs and processes that really work and help you grow the business. How I, I kind of want to go through what you do and what you recommend other people to do, but I, I also want to make sure that we're um, we're considering that a lot of co-founders are visionaries, and typically, and you are too. But that's what makes you unique is that you're a visionary, but you're also extremely organized, and you know you'll put things in motion and make sure that you go back and constantly keep up with them. And, and you're very committed to every part of any process you involve yourself in. And I think for most visionaries, that's really difficult. Most visionaries kind of are big idea guys and ladies, and they throw out, you know, this great idea that they've come up with and they give it to their team and they just want their team to run with it. And if you try to talk them into creating SOPs and really standardizing things and assigning ownership, I think they're just going to glaze over a lot of times like, oh my gosh, I just, that's not me. I can't do it. So I want to go through this in a way that even that type, that personality type can, can come out of this episode feeling like, okay, this is something I can do and I can really put in, into motion in my company. So let's talk about 
kind of from the beginning and creating SOPs, what is the first step? What what is the you know what do they need? Do they need certain tools? Are there software applications out there that help people with this? I might start just by talking a bit more about the visionaries, and it doesn't actually have to be you as the founder or the CEO that's creating the, these SOPs. So as a visionary, um, founders are probably thinking a lot about the future and having a lot of big ideas, and I think that's where it's. I think uh, some people will be familiar with the term or the relationship of the integrator with the visionary. And so having someone else in the team that is able to do the implementation, I think the visionary just needs to be aware of the benefits. So be aware of the benefits and then have other people in the team that can execute SOPs because it doesn't have to be you that's writing them. So when we did our next, um, or we brought in another SOP project where we were redoing everything, it wasn't me that was creating any of the SOPs but I was just aware of the real importance. So I'll just break it down in terms of how we, after, you know, when we were in that mess 18 months into the business of what we did to, to really refine everything. And so the first thing we did was create a, a register of SOP. So in a, a Google sheet, we created different tabs for different departments in the business. So we had sales, onboarding, recurring bookkeeping, and then separate to that, all right, internal operations, so things like HR, marketing, internal accounting, and we focused on all of our bookkeeping SOPs first. And then on each of those tabs, we listed out every SOP that we had already and also all of the ones that still needed to be created. Then we identified who the process owner was. Then we identified who was each of these needed to be redone. So then we identified who was going to test the process when when the process owner created a video and we actually engaged with a company to help us with this process. So the first step was creating that procedures register and identifying all of the work that needed to happen and who was going to do it or who was responsible for each each process. And then we came up with a a timeframe of um, each of these processes being redone by recording Loom videos. So the process owner would go and actually do whatever that process was and we engaged a company to actually then write the procedure in an SO, in a Google Doc for us. Then we would have someone internally test it. Then the SOP owner would, would then review the document, t- take on the feedback from the tester, and then it would be published with a review date. And when I say published, we use a, a program called Sweet Process, which is where we organise all of our SOPs and um that's where we can link in to videos like the Loom videos that we create for the majority of our procedures and also control things like access to, to different SOPs. And I, you know, we should probably like try to have some sponsorship or something from Loom because I know we've mentioned them before and I'm kind of obsessed with it. It really is for exactly this type of thing. It is so useful. I use it all the time. And anytime I'm working with a client that has sort of a complicated process that they need me to get involved in. I always have them do the same thing, but I, and I, I'm hoping that people listening are taking notes because this is one of those, it, really, this is kind of like an interactive keynote <laughs> address that we're getting from you. So I, I'm wanting people to take notes because obviously they're not able to see a presentation, but so we're literally at this point, okay, we realize we need SOPs. We're going to sit down. We've got a Google Doc sheet open. We're listing out the SOPs that are needed or that we already have in each department. And right there, we're assigning owners and deadlines, right? 
Exactly. So we were identifying and the process owner related to our organizational chart. So if it was, we have internal champions. So we've got a sales champion and onboarding champion and then recurring book, bookkeeping champion. And so they're the go-to. They, they also have other roles in the business, but their role is to really improve, to continually improve what we do related to those particular areas of the business. But some, some of these areas like recurring bookkeeping, we've, we've got something like 60 or 70 different procedures. So wow. that's a bit much for one person to do. So yeah. then we're able to assign that to particular procedures to other bookkeepers within the team and then have deadlines of when they need to have their videos created by, when the testers need to do their testing. So that – and we this project probably took us six months, I would say, um, okay. from finding Sweet Process as the right tool to working out how we actually what's out what's the Bean Ninja's way of actually creating a, a process, doing that procedures register, and then the team is still doing the rest of their work. So this was a big project, and we gave ourselves the deadline of the thirtieth of June, so it's the beginning, well, the end of the financial year um, to get the Australian end of financial year to get this done because we knew then that a lot of the team were going to be um, flat track with end of financial year work. Sure. So, and that was going to be another question that I had was how long did it take you guys? And I'm sure every business would have a completely different timeline based on how many procedures and whatnot they're really creating. How did you, you said at one point, or for some departments, you have as many as 60 SOPs. How, is there ever a point when it's like, you're kind of back to that situation of, okay, now we have so many things in this list that we can't find what we're looking for. I mean, is how is six? How are you keeping sixty SOPs organized in a way that makes them quick and easy to use? I think that's one of the advantages of Sweet Process, where you can tag them in lots of different ways. So, if, for example, we might have an SOP of um, setting up a Stripe integration in Zero, and then someone can could just type in the search Stripe, and then all of our procedures around how we manage Stripe, which might be setting up the integration, it might be ongoing bookkeeping, it might be month-end procedures with Stripe, someone can find everything that just relates to that. And so I think for us, that's one of the benefits of Sweet Process is having that search function with the tags. Yeah, that would make a huge difference if you have that many um, processes in one department. So you get through testing and if the test's okay, is that it? Is the is the process, the SOP is in place and we're done and now it's there and everyone that needs it accesses it or is there another step after this? So the the testing w- is done, we were doing the testing outside of the sweet process. So then it then it was fine to get loaded into sweet process and, and then it's, yeah, it is done and then it, ha- it needs to be assigned a review date. That's the other key step. So we're internally, we're trying to create a, a culture where procedures are updated as soon as something changes. But I think it's also important to have a review date and that might be every six months or every 12 months, just again, to, as a reminder, to just check the procedure and make sure that it is still relevant. And how many, I know you said at one, you know, you had some processes initially and then at 18 months, you really went deep and and got very organized with this. How often are you finding that, that process, that this, SOP in any department needs to be completely redone or if you do it right the first time is it just tweaking every now and then when the review comes in yes I'd say it would just be tweaking so the this was a big project for us because we were kind of building everything again from scratch because we didn't do loom videos the first time that we had 
SOPs. Mm -hmm. And so really this was a a big chunky project, whereas now, unless we change something like the technology we use, so we have had examples. So we moved from Trello to Rike as our project manager or internal management systems. And so we needed to redo a whole lot of videos related to that Mm -hmm. because the steps looked a bit different in or the, the process flow was different with Rike. But it's only things like that when something major changes. Otherwise, it's just little tweaks. So, and, and I probably just want to say to people, it's a it's a really valuable exercise, but it is a big project too. So don't feel like you, you're going to get this done in one week because your team are probably busy with other things. And something that helped us was having an external consultant help to drive the project forward. And, and that was their primary focus because often SOPs are not a top priority for people within the business. But I'd say this um, as long as you've got the, the internal culture that you value processes and, and being organized and systemized and you convey that and the team are on board and then you realize that it is kind of a step-by-step thing and it's not going to happen overnight, I think it's a very valuable exercise. I want to get a little feedback from you on how these processes, how you either believe or maybe you've been able to kind of tell a difference between when you had them and when you didn't or you didn't have them as as clearly defined as you do now, what impact have they had on growing being ninjas? I think some of it comes down to training new team members. And I think when I'm trying to persuade, my leadership style is very uh, persuasive. It's not um, autocratic. So I'm trying to, and I've got a, smart people on my team who I'm happy for them to question me too. And so when I'm trying to persuade someone of something, uh, like the benefits of SOPs, I'll try and create a situation where they can really see the benefit for themselves. And so an example of that would be if a team member is about to manage, they're, they're managing someone new, all of a sudden they will start to see the benefits of SOPs because they can direct the person that they're training, the, the, the person they're training is asked a question, how do I do, how do I do the stripe to zero integration? And then the trainer can say, well, refer to this SOP and, and each of our SOPs have a, a code. Uh, so go and find that. And then if you have any questions about that, let me know. Whereas previously, they would have had to record the Loom video or, do, or create something from scratch. So I think that's how I, I get other team members on board by trying to find a way that it actually helps them in their role, how, how do SOPs help them in their role. Um, and so one of the benefits is training new team members. And I think the other is consistency. So especially at a manager level in, in our business, the managers are really there. We call them customer success managers. And so they're leading teams, but they're also trying to create a great experience for customers. And so they can see that we're delivering a consistent experience. And I think they can see the benefit from that too, where if a, te- if a customer happens to move from one team to another, they're still getting, and they're, they're working with different bookkeepers and a different account manager, they're still getting that same good experience. Do you ever run into the situation, and this is a, an experience that I've had in the past when I've worked with companies that are very process-oriented, um, where you bring someone on and your way of organizing things in your SOPs just doesn't make sense for that person? Is that just is that individual just not going to be a good fit for your team? Like are the processes kind of also defining the right person for your team or is there a way that you can train them to kind of bring them on to the side of the way things are set up? 
that's an interesting question. We, we haven't had that problem yet or well, that I'm aware of. So no one's actually <laughs> um, told me that they don't like the way their SOPs are organised. Um, if I suppose if we did have that problem, I'd be – so we're always – we're not set on one way of doing things. And so I'd, I'd really want to have a chat to that team member and try and understand what about the organisation makes it difficult and then how they would picture making it better and then see whether it is something that we could change internally. We'll look at how, how much time it would take. If it was a big project to change everything, then it might not be a top priority. But there's probably something that we could learn from talking to that team member. That's what makes you a great CEO, Meryl. What an awesome answer to that question. <laughs> I wish I would have ever had just one boss that would think that way. <laughs> um, you know, we talked with Wayne, who is um, scaling into the U.S. for Bean Ninjas uh, a couple weeks ago. How has the how do having these clearly defined? I mean, I'm sure there's the obvious way that having clearly defined processes help someone in his position, which is, you know, he's not kind of recreating the wheel with every new office that he opens. But are there other ways that it helps you when you're going into a completely new territory, a new country, um, and onboarding clients? I mean, obviously, you already mentioned that it gives a sort of seamless um, experience for clients, regardless of where they're located. Are the processes helping you open new branches and offices faster? I'd say so because Wayne would have faith in the team that they already know how to do things at Bean Ninja's way. And I was actually talking, I was talking on a panel at ZeroCon, the conference this week, yeah. and the topic of the panel was um, beyond bookkeeping 2020. So I was talking about the future of bookkeeping and I was talking about what our plans at Bean Ninja's are and how we're expanding into the U.S., but I was talking about how we're, we're trying to replicate what, so what we've done in Australia and, and take the things that we've learned and, and the processes that we've developed and then use that as a foundation for things like expanding into the US and also the next step for us is expanding further into the UK market. And I think it's really helpful once we've, we've tested something in Australia to roll it up, but also from Wayne's perspective as a leader, already having the framework and a team that's already trained on the way that we do things, I think really helps him to focus on other areas like growing the business rather than having to spend a lot of time with the team defining exactly how we do things. You know, that said, it's an ongoing process. So we're always trying to improve what, what we do. So when now that we've done the big project of documenting everything, we're actually then back at the beginning of things like onboarding. How can we improve again what we do and, and how we do it? How are you able to keep that a priority? Because I'm sure that when you're growing as quickly as Bean Ninjas is growing and you're adding new team members, especially as the CEO, there's a million things a day that I'm sure are on your plate that you need to give attention to. And I know you said that you're not, you know, necessarily creating the processes yourself anymore, but how do you and other team members keep this, you know, the review a priority, going back to the processes, keeping them update. How is it prioritized? Because I know in my experience, I work with audience ops, which is another very um, highly process oriented company. And we have SOPs for everything, which is great. But I always think about the peop the person that I am hitting up on Slack when something isn't right anymore. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't want to be her <laughs> because I'm always sending her something that doesn't make sense or needs to be changed or updated. 
How do the team members kind of keep that a priority? I think it is difficult, especially if you're in a growth phase and the focus is sales and new customers, then it's easier to make this less of a priority. Where we also have cycles within our bookkeeping work. So the first two weeks and sometimes the third week of every month are busy because we're trying to get out our month end reports. And then there's a little bit of time that that last week in the month where we can, that's when we can do more training and that's where we can work on projects like this. So I think it's helpful just to be aware that probably the first two weeks of the month, we're not going to have time to really move the needle with things like projects, the procedures project, but knowing that we do have that little bit of extra time, although that's that's when we team members usually take holidays too, is that <laughs> fourth week of the month. So, but it is difficult because it's not the top priority. The top priority of the business is to look after our customers and also to grow. Um, and so it's a constant juggling act of what, what the priority is. Well, I was prepared to hear a lot of really complex information on how to get this done. And especially, like I said, working with Audience Ops, who has so many really great processes, um, SOPs already in place. And Brian Casel, the CEO there, has done this many times, so he's kind of expert level at it as well. Um, I, you know, like I said, from my perspective, just working with them, accessing them, and then letting someone else know if something needs to be changed, it always seemed like a huge, daunting task. But the way you've broken it down, it really sounds like it's just a matter of getting your team focused for whatever period of time it takes to get it done. And then you've broken it down into just a few simple steps. So it's not a difficult or complex thing to do. It's just finding the time and then, like you said, reviewing and setting deadlines and making sure that it does stay a priority for the team. So this has been really great. Do you have any sort of closing thoughts before we end the episode? Just to recap on, we, we talked at the beginning of the episode about the benefits. So just to recap on that, and I think a lot of founders do want to get out of the day-to-day and work on work on the business and growing the business and also, mate, well, eventually everyone wants to exit. So I just wanted to highlight the benefits of that we talked about at the beginning of the episode of having SOPs. And then also to say that it, it sounds like a daunting task, but it may not be as big of a task as you think. It's more of something that is a cultural change in your business where if you can persuade everyone of the value and the benefit to them, so how's it going to not not how's it going to improve the exit for you as a founder, but how is it going to how is it going to improve the lives of the managers or other team members? And if you can demonstrate the benefits to them, then I think you'll get some more buy-in from your team about why they should be involved in in this extra work of creating SOPs. And then my my final words would be to break it into two different pieces. The first is the the project of getting everything documented initially. And then the second is making sure that everyone actually uses the procedures and keeps them up to date. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say too, from, you know, being one of the, you know, team members that's accessing processes that were in place before I joined, it does give each team member a certain amount of autonomy I work remotely and I have teammates kind of all over the globe as well. And so it's so nice when I can just consult the SOPs to figure out what I need to do next versus sending a Slack message, waiting for them to get to it. You know, if they're in a different time zone, it might be a whole day. So as far as, 
efficiency and productivity and streamlining processes and keeping things going, especially when you have offices in various locations, it's definitely useful just for me as a teammate. So I can definitely see why it's probably something that more people should talk about and prioritize uh, more often. We don't hear too much about it. You know, we hear about these bigger things like marketing and sales, but all of those things would run so much smoother and the tasks would get done so much faster if you did have great SOPs in place. So I can just say from my perspective as a teammate with access to them, huge difference in my workday. And it helps me because then I don't feel like my job depends so much on someone else's knowledge. I have the knowledge at my fingertips and I can access it whenever I need it, which is very empowering as an employee. So thank you for another great episode. Once again, Meryl, I hope that you feel better. Enjoy your weekend getaway with your team, getting all of the things from the conference sort of digested and organized. And I look forward to hearing more you've got for us next week, right back here on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Meryl, for another great episode with really invaluable information. I definitely want everyone in our audience to check out the blog. We're going to link to some of the articles that Meryl mentioned in today's episode. So um, you're going to want to check out beanninjas.com slash blog. You can check out the show notes for links to specific blogs and any other resources that we covered in this episode. And as usual, please make sure that you tweet to us, leave us a message on Facebook, reach out to us and let us know if you have any questions. We love to go over um, our Be Ninja Superfans questions um, every chance we get. So if you have any questions for Meryl based on decision-making frameworks, SOPs, building processes that allow you to grow your business, definitely send those to us. And of course, like us on uh, Facebook and follow us on Twitter, Be Ninjas, and join us right back here again next week for another episode of the Be Ninjas podcast. Thanks, everyone.